I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm talking to Kyle Plum. Kyle leads a campus ministry in San Diego, California. He started his campus ministry in 2018 with five disciples on a commuter campus, and he grew it to 50 within a few years. He had 16 baptisms in his first semester on campus. In this episode, he talks about what led him into the ministry, what he learned playing Division I college football, the influence of going on a mission team to Corpus Christi, Texas, his views on the cancel culture both inside and outside of the church, and three ways to get your campus ministry revived and growing. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I hope you enjoyed the interview last week with Gordon Ferguson. I really liked when he he quoted this. He said, never give your life up for anything that death can take away. That was awesome. Well, it's August of 2022, and in the U.S., that means American football and campus ministry. I'm working hard right now with my campus minister, reaching out on campus and building a foundation for a great ministry. And I'll be talking to campus ministers in the next month or so who are growing their ministries and asking them what's working and how can we multiply disciples and leaders on campus. I'll start that series today by talking to an outstanding young campus minister by the name of Kyle Plum. People have asked me how they can support the podcast. It's easy. You can support the Rob Skinner podcast at patreon.com forward slash Rob Skinner. That's patreon.com forward slash Rob Skinner. Thanks for listening and make this life count. I'm here with Kyle Plum. Kyle, welcome to the program. Rob, thanks for having me. Excited (laughs) to be here. I know. It's so awesome. It was a great time at the World Discipleship Summit having coffee. Absolutely. I I know. Now, Kyle, you, you've got a family now. You've, you've got uh, your wife, Monique. You've got two young daughters, Kalia and Alina. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And I, I was just so impressed talking to you about what's going on in your campus ministry. I thought, I got to get this guy on my program. It's inspiring. And one of the things I thought about is like, okay, right as we're starting the campus Uh, season, so to speak. This is recording this the middle of August. I just thought, man, I want to talk to this guy about what he's doing so I can imitate and Mm -hmm. put it into practice at the University of Arizona. And I also asked my campus minister, Kevin Liu, to talk to you. And I know he was super impacted by his talk. So I look forward to this conversation. So thank you for making the time. Oh, thanks for having me. I had a great time with you guys at the summit and Kevin and excited to talk about campus ministry. Yeah. How'd you become a Christian? 
I became a Christian, so I grew up in the church. Uh, both my parents are disciples in San Diego. My dad is actually an elder, my mom, an elder's wife. Um, I have two little brothers and a little sister who are all disciples. And um, I think for me growing up, I don't know if anyone ever in the church thought we would become Christians because we were a little bit out there. I think uh, for me, my, uh, my God growing up was football. Mm. I think that's what gave me purpose. That's what gave me identity. I felt uh, I got a lot of respect from that. And so I was all about football and uh, everything that came with that. And so growing up, you know, we would have to, in order to play football, we had to go to teen Bible talk. That wasn't an option in the house. Um, we had to be at church. And so there's one time I remember I tried to push it and I was like, no, I'm not going to go. I was trying to, you know, be a man at 15. I was like, I'm not going to, to church. <laughs> my, dad, <laughs> my dad called my coach and I didn't get to play uh, oh the, the following week. And so I never did that again. And uh, <laughs> so my dad did not give empty threats, which was, you know, that, that helped me. But um, yeah, so, so I grew up in the church and went to high school. I was in the, the teen ministry. I wasn't a disciple yet, but uh, Jeremy Melcher Post was my teen minister. He's here in San Diego now. He was just appointed an evangelist, I think, last year. That's awesome. Um, amazing. Yeah, amazing brother. And he just really gave his heart to me. And he, he I, I didn't want to become a Christian at the time. I knew eventually I did, but went to a little bit of a rougher school and got involved in a lot of really, you know, bad things. And he was always there for me. He was always there to talk. He was always there to hear me out. So I went off and I played football and I went off to Colorado state to play football. And, um, I went up there really wanting to prove myself. I, you know, I'm a short white guy. There's not a lot of short white guys playing division one football. And, uh, so I played slot. And so I went up there just, man, chip on my shoulder. Um, I played really well, actually, but I got, I kept getting in fights at practice. And so, uh, <laughs> and, just, uh, just showing that Christian love there on the playing field, huh? Yeah. And I wasn't, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even a Christian yet. Oh, there you go. And they, yeah, I wasn't a Christian yet, but so I went up there and they, uh, they were going to kick me off a team. Wow. And they put me aside and they were talking to me about that. And so I remember going home one night, I went back to my dorm. It was just me in the dorm. And I remember thinking, um, I'm playing better than I've ever played in my life. There's more women here than ever. You know, I go to parties. It, it, everything I thought I wanted is right here. And I'm, I'm absolutely miserable. And I remember being in my dorm room late one night by myself. And I remember I was just crying. And I remember crying out to God for the first time in a long time. And I remember just saying, God, like, this can't be all there is to life. And so from about October till... December, I, I sought after God on my own as hard as I've ever done anything in my life. I, I cried out to him day and night, um, just from relief from just this emptiness. And so that went on, which was really helped kind of form this, this base in me. And then I went home at winter break and I, I called, you know, I got some time with Jeremy. I was like, Jeremy, I need help. I, I really need help. I've been, I've been seeking after God. Um, going to kick off the football team. I'm in trouble in these different ways. I, I really need help. Um, I want to be with God. 
And I think for the first time in my life, I experienced, and I, I knew this growing up, I think kingdom kids know like there's a God and we believe in that. But the first time I internalized that there is this God who created everything and yet he knows me and he loves me, but I'm his enemy because I have rebelled against him my entire, like I'm not on his team right now. <laughs> and I didn't feel, I felt fear of that. And I think fear kind of started the journey to God, but I think love really completed it. And I really internalized this God really, really loves me. And so I remember telling Jeremy, I'll quit football. I'll do, I don't really care. Uh, I, I just want to, I want to follow Jesus. So he studied the Bible 10 days. And then the day before I went back to Colorado state, um, I was baptized January 19th, 2014. And, uh, I went back to Colorado state as a disciple and they thought I'd been brainwashed and my teammates, you know, they're like, you don't like girls anymore, man. And I was like, I do. It's just, you know, different stuff now. And so that's how I became a Christian. Wow. Now who was leading the church there at, at Colorado state? So it was, uh, it was Hans Rasmussen when I was baptized and then, um, probably about six months into it, he went to Denver and then the Mays took over, um, Mike and Jody May. So I had a great time catching up with them at the World Discipleship Summit, but they led it for the rest of the time that I was at Colorado State. What was it like being a part of their church? It was amazing. I think growing up in San Diego, I grew up in a bigger church but I was never really involved in it. So I didn't really know too much about what was going on. And then being in a church that was smaller, I mean, the, the relationships we built there were just so amazing. Like I had so many different families, kind of people who knew my parents, who uh, one of them being like the Maxwell's, they, they adopted me kind of into their family. They'd have me over for family nights. Um, I remember that our campus, we started off pretty small, um, I remember just the sisters in our campus being so amazing. Like you play football, there's all these women that are all around you. I just never really struggled with it because the sisters were so encouraging. I mean, they took me out on dates. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just like, this is cool. Like, um, this is amazing. Mm. And so it was amazing. And I, I know me and Mike built a great relationship. And um, it was really cool being a part of, I wasn't leading anything, but you could feel you could impact the church, right. Even at a young age. Right. And, you know? Yeah. So. I'm, I'm just was so impressed with Mike. I got a chance to, to get to know him a little bit. His son went to Flagstaff on the planting and then took a, a motorcycle trip and got a chance to spend a little time with him and Jody. So impressed with his sincerity and passion for God, very straightforward, very down to earth in his, his love for God. And so anyway, just, just a great guy. Um, yeah. So in terms of the sisters, do, do you happen to know uh, Tabby Gully and Sydney Shea? I know Sydney Shea. Okay. She took, took me on my first ever uh, encouragement date. Okay. I, I know that those two sisters came down to Tucson for a summer and Tabby ended up staying and uh, just awesome. I mean, just totally sold out. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny how smaller campus ministries can turn out some of the most passionate people. Yeah. It, it blows me yeah. away. It just, you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, you can, you, you get people coming from, we had a campus ministry in Ashland, Oregon, 5,000 people in the college. And yet we had people going into the ministry out of that campus ministry sold out. I mean, you just, you just yeah. catch a bug or something. It, there's a, there's a passion there. 
Tyler Bedell was with me in Colorado. He's oh. from in the Ashland. That's right. He went there afterwards. I mean, Tyler was just awesome. It was such a blessing when he moved to Ashland. He just added an immediate impact. Yeah. Boom. I mean, yeah. just love that guy. <laughs> he had a crazy diet at the time, but just an awesome guy. Yeah. I don't think yeah. he I don't think he ate anything green or no vegetables. I mean, just Yeah. He was my first campus minister and uh I was pretty worldly when I first became a disciple. I remember I, I cussed him out at a uh, an ultimate frisbee game about a weekend <laughs> being a disciple, and I felt so embarrassed. And he loved me through it, but yeah, I always <laughs> great athlete too. I remember he was trying out for a Ninja Warrior. I mean, the guy was just super cut. But anyway, let let's get back on the topic here. So, how did you end up meeting your wife, Monique? So, Monique and I we grew up in different regions of San Diego, she was, uh, down South and we were kind of more central West. And so, um, we kind of knew of each other growing up. It's funny, her brother and her brother's friends, and then my brothers and our friends, we would always fight at teen camp and like, we'd get in these huge fights. And so it was kind of funny. That was like fights, like arguments or like fist fights. No, like full on fist fights in the, in the little in the little teen camp dorm. And so um, it would always start off as like a brother's fight night. We'd have all the mattresses out and it would just turn into a full on group fist fight at teen camp. Um, just just spreading the love of Jesus right there, man. Spreading the love, yeah. So we were all the kids that didn't want to be at teen camp, but we had to be there. So um, and then we kind of got to, you know, know each other from afar, I guess, through that. But after I became a disciple, I came home at spring break. Uh, I'd been a disciple probably like three months. And uh, there was a movie night at her dad's house. I didn't really know her too well, but I went, um, just wanted to be with everyone. And so I went and I saw her and I was like, oh, wow, like she's beautiful. And um, I felt weird. We're at her dad's house. And, you know, I was like, I didn't really want to be super direct. And I didn't really know how to do the you know, dating yet in, in, in the kingdom, but so I just talked to her and got to know her. And then, uh, I went back to school. We didn't talk for a while. I came back at the next winter break and I was transferring from Colorado state. So I stayed an extra semester that I figured out where I was going to transfer to. We really built a friendship over that time. And I remember I took her on a date and, uh, from there I was like, yeah, this is, I, I want to date her. So we, we built that friendship for a few months. We started dating and uh, we actually dated long distance for almost two years. And then we dated in person for a, a year and got married. Okay. So you didn't stay at Colorado state. Where, where'd you go? I went out to Texas. I, um, my coach that recruited me at Colorado state, he went to the university of Florida. They brought in a new coach. I wasn't going to, play as much as I, as I would have with the coach who recruited me. And so I was kind of looking around and then a few of my coaches went to a smaller school called Texas A&M Kingsville. And I was like, Oh, that's a, you know, it's a small school. I didn't really want to go to a smaller school, but then I found out they were planting a church there about 45 minutes away in Corpus Christi, the Alawes, they're planting a church in Corpus Christi, Texas. And so I was like, wow, I'd be a part of a church planting and play football. Like that would be so amazing. <laughs> I transferred and uh, I went out there and was part of the the original 25 person mission team to Corpus Christi. I was about 45 minutes away in Kingsville. So I was the only disciple that I knew of in that city from our church. And 
yeah, baptize some teammates. It was, it was great. It was, it was an amazing experience doing that. Mm, That's great. You know, not many people get a chance or have the ability to play division one sports, let alone football, anything you gain from it, any, any life lessons that you picked up from that? I mean, that's, it's really impressive that you're had the skill and the ability to do that. Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of life lessons, I think you learn how to work with a team and work with different types of people. And the goal of the team trumps all individual differences. And so, I mean, you have guys from all different backgrounds on a football team and you all come together and we're very, very unified in the fact that we want to win football games and we want to, you know, win a championship, win a bowl ring, whatever it is. Um, probably the most successful season we had was at Colorado State. We went 10 and 2 and went, um, we were one win away from the Fiesta Bowl, but we went and played in the Las Vegas Bowl. And I think what the difference between that team and other teams I've been on was we were very, very united in our goal. We wanted to achieve this goal. And we, if you didn't want to be a part of the goal, you had to leave. And then we, people got forced off the team because they were not um, focused. And so, that culture that our coach really instilled, I think helped us. And so I think working with different people to achieve a goal, I mean, it's very much sometimes football teams do it better than the church does where you have this overarching goal of, okay, we want to glorify God. So let's just get rid of all of our individual differences and be about the mission of Jesus and bring people in. So I think that was probably the biggest one I learned perseverance, endurance, all all that good stuff. Do you have a highlight or just a special moment from your, playing football I have a good amount of them I I think I remember my first college catch I transferred so so I tore my ACL uh my sophomore season five days before the first game that was I was gonna gonna be playing a lot I came back the first game we were playing this team they're kind of a small school they weren't the best but I ran a it's kind of like a corner post my first catch I ever caught was like a 60 yard bomb and uh, I broke and I was running on the sideline. I got tackled and, you know, my friends back home never let me forget that uh, I allowed this guy to catch me. Um, <laughs> a white boy, you know, and so he caught me on the sideline and I remember I got up and I just like screamed. I look at the crowd and just screamed as loud as I could. And I think my favorite moment was looking at the sideline at my teammates who had kind of seen me go through this, the tore my ACL rehab. They knew I was really down and just, they were all screaming back at me, just like fired up. I just love that. Just, uh, we're all excited for each other. Yeah, I love that. That's that my awesome. favorite, favorite yeah. memory. So you're yeah. able to come back the same season after you tore your ACL? I came back the following the season. The following season. Okay, boy, that's tough. Yeah, it was a tough one. But Okay, so what, what led you into ministry? I mean, you could have done a lot of different things, but why did you choose ministry? So I think when I went out to Texas, um, being a part of that mission team, uh, Richard Alawe was the one who was discipling me. He led the church there and he's helped plant churches all over Africa. And, you know, he's, he's been very influential in the kingdom. Um, hearing the way he talked about the Bible, I, I've never heard someone preach the way he preaches. Like, I'm like, wow, this guy really believes what the Bible says. Like he really believes it. I've never heard someone talk about heaven and hell more than him. Um, I've never heard somebody talk about the mission of making disciples like he did. And I think 
just seeing him and I and I think his his convictions on scripture just I I just they became my convictions so the way he spoke I was like these are my convictions now but then the stories he used to tell about the ministry and persecution and things in Africa and things here I was just like man I want to be you Hmm. and um I remember just telling him, Hey, I, I, it was about two months left in my college, college life. Uh, I realized I, I didn't score enough touchdowns to go play in the NFL. And, um, I was thinking about maybe doing like law enforcement, but I got some advice, like probably not the best thing for you spiritually. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I was like, man, being on this church planning, what if I could just do this all the time, just helping people follow Jesus and, and share my faith. And so, um, that's what made me want to go into ministry. And I interviewed here in San Diego and uh, the Lovegrins hired me here. And it's been an amazing, amazing, tough, hard, amazing journey. So it's been awesome. That's great. So San Diego is a big area. Can you, where, where are you in San Diego? Can you describe for those who are not familiar with the geography? Yeah. So we are in North County. So it's San Diego County. Uh, I live in a, a little city called San Marcos. And if you head up, you have like downtown San Diego. If you drive up about 45, 50 minutes north, you'll hit uh, North County. It's the whole 78 freeway. So from Oceanside, Camp Pendleton to Escondido on the east side. And so that's where we are in terms of San Diego. We're as far as you can go north before like San Clemente and, and all that. Okay. And so... You, you're working on campus as a campus minister. What what campuses are we talking about? We're at a Cal, Cal, Cal State San Marcos, and that's our four-year, and then Palomar Community College is the junior college here. Okay, and so how, how big are these these colleges? What, what are we looking at? Cal State San Marcos, when I got here, was like 8,000. I think now it's about 14, 15,000. Okay. Um, and then uh, Palomar is, it says online, it's like 20,000. I think it's a good amount of it is online and then a lot of trade schools. So there's not many people on campus there as there is at Cal State San Marcos. Okay. So you've been working there for a while. How many years have you been doing ministry? I went to the ministry 2018, so four years. Okay, been doing it four years. How old are you now? I'm 27. You're 27. Okay. How tell me how it's gone. What's what's give me the highlights in the the past four years. What were you walking into on campus and what are you looking at now? Yeah, so when I came in, um I think first and foremost, I walked into an amazing situation with Doug and May Lovren. I mean, they're just amazing people. Um, they've done such a, I, I cannot be grateful for them enough. And they've done such a amazing job at really walking with me and teaching me. Cause I think I came off the mission team uh, just like fire and brimstone all the time. <laughs> you know, it was just like every, every D time was a rebuke. Like I, I that's kind of how Richard was a little bit too. And so, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I just came in all truth, no grace. I wasn't graceful with myself either. So I kind of came into this situation with amazing leaders there, Doug and May. Um, and But the campus ministry that was there was about nine people. And then I came in, is I think it was about eight of them, maybe seven or eight of them were kingdom kids. Um, within about 
I mean, very quickly, I think about five or six of them left, um, left the church. And so uh, that was discouraging a little bit, but I think I was really, really driven to the point where I was just like, okay, if you're not about the goal, we're going to make disciples here. So we're going to baptize people who want to be here. And so it was kind of hard just how we started was, um, and I think there's a lot of other campus ministries in LA and even San Diego that were really big at the time. And so I felt a little bit like, man, we're, we're you know, we're kind of struggling here. Um, but I think really seeing, I mean, the first month we were there, February, we baptized a guy, March. And so I think that first year we baptized, I think the first semester was like 16 people. And um, I okay. look back on it. Wait a second, you, you baptize people, 16 people in one semester, your first semester. It was, I came in the middle of the semester. So between like the middle of the semester to the next semester, it was about 16 people. Wow. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And it, I think what it created was just this expectation that um, people are going to follow Jesus and, and become Christians. And we hadn't had a conversion in the campus there, I guess, in a long time. Um, and so even though I was pretty rough around the edges and uh, I said a lot of dumb things and my youthful zeal. Um, I look back on some of my sermons. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, what was I doing? But uh, <laughs> like every sermon was like Phineas, you know, hitting someone with a spear. It was just, everything was just intense. And uh, <laughs> it still is sometimes though. I get, you know, I don't think it's wrong, but you got to mellow it out sometimes, but seeing people become disciples and then, the next semester we baptized, we had this one week where we baptized three people. Um, but then they all left within a week and all this stuff started coming out about, Oh, you guys are a cult and all this stuff and all these, you know, these things being passed around. And, um, I think it was kind of cool because our campus ministry, we got to see who was really there and who wasn't. And what it created was, okay, we're, we don't really care what people say about us. We're just going to obey the Bible. And so I'm so grateful for the people who were baptized that year that are still here today. Um, they've been so impactful on the younger disciples who get baptized and just like, hey, persevere. You know, we're going through it right now with, with a lot of this, you know, American persecution where they just say things that aren't true about us. But um the people that have stayed have been very, very amazing. And we have some amazing disciples here in, in the North. And so um, that was the first year of our campus ministry. It, it didn't grow as much after that. Like we weren't doing 16 people a semester, but we're still growing a good amount. And I think kind of where we move from. What's, you know, the, about a campus. What, what's the size of your ministry now? So we started off 2022 at 50. We're at about 40 right now. Um, so you, some, we had one person walk away and has people going to singles. Okay. So you started with five or six people after you, yeah. you took over the ministry and then you're at about 50. And then because of COVID, you're, you're down to about 40 right now. COVID we grew, we just sent a bunch of people to singles, um, right now. Got it. So, okay. That's, yeah. that's awesome. What, yeah. What, what is it like, like, Tell me what's your program, okay? Like what, when you went in there, what, let me just ask you, what were you thinking when you went in and started leading the campus ministry? What What were your initial goals? Why were you going, okay, this is what I want to try to accomplish? I think 
I went in with the mentality of if no one else in the campus ministry wants to do it, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do the work mm. and live the life of Jesus. And so I didn't necessarily have like numerical goals going into it. I think I shared my faith with hundreds of people, probably a hundred people a day, at least. I mean, I was on camp, but we had, I mean, three disciples at, at one point. And so there wasn't a lot of shepherding. So I, I was on campus sharing my faith all day long. Um, I remember having 10 Bible studies in a day, like just that was, I was all about the mission. And, um, I think it's hard even now, as you think about a lot of campus ministries now, I think I see a lot of people trying to motivate their people to do it. And I think the thing that has motivated our people to do it more than anything is they see me on campus all the time, sharing my faith, studying the Bible with people. Um, and they want to do it too. Right. So just sharing your faith. That was the biggest that's the mentality I came in with. Was this at Palomar at the community at the commuter school or at Cal State San Marcos? Cal State San Marcos is more the commuter school. So they're coming from like Temecula and Lake Elsinore and Murrieta, a lot of them. Okay, so Palomar is not not so much a commuter school. Not so much. Not so, so much. So you're working more at Palomar? I'm actually more at Cal State San Marcos. And so you, you have like kind of the local group that's there. Like a lot of the North County kids go there. Um, but then there's a lot from Temecula that drive down. And so we baptized people from Temecula before, but I think um, we kind of find the people who are here local and study with them a lot. Um, and Palomar was shut down in, in COVID. There wasn't anyone on campus. So we've been more at Cal State San Marcos. Got it. Okay. what What is it that drives you? I mean, there's there's a certain edge to you to you that I, I noticed like right off the bat why are you so passionate about what you're doing i'm trying to be less edgy by the way <laughs> um, <laughs> i think what drives me i know it sounds cliche but just i really believe what the bible says like i really believe it when I read Revelation 4 and 5, and I see, I'm actually preaching on this on Sunday, and I see the throne room of God, I want to make that God proud. I want to bring that God glory. And I think about that amazing God sitting in this throne room, surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And I think about that God wants a relationship with me. And that just blows my mind, um, his love for me. And I think remembering where I came from, and what the things I was doing and God still forgave me and still pursued me. It just doesn't make human sense. And so um, I'm, I'm, I just, I just want to serve God and, and glorify God and love his people. Hmm. A, a lot of people have drifted in their standards, their convictions. I definitely saw this in COVID got highlighted big time. Uh, yeah. both in our church as well as other places. you In, in my mind, you seem to be kind of a, a John the Baptist character, <laughs> you know, like in this generation, just a, a fire-breathing young man. Where does that come from? I think the truth will always be the truth, no matter the culture or the context. Or, uh, I think what God says in his word is the binding truth. And I think there are things, okay, there are some cultural things in the Bible, but I think what he says is sin will never change. 
what he says is righteous will never change how he wants the church to function. I don't think will ever change. And so there's these core convictions that Jesus has. And I think there's a, but I, I read about how, I mean, James three, one, that leaders and, and teachers will be judged more strictly. I have to hold to the truth. There's just not an option for me. And so um, when I see people not doing that, it really, really bothers me. Um, I really want God to be glorified. And I think it's easy to kind of live a culture of Christianity and a culture in the church where it's like, this is just kind of what we do. And sometimes we forget, like, this is all about Jesus. And so, you know, we use the terminology even like to make Jesus Lord of your life. Well, Jesus is Lord of my life, whether I make it, whether I accept that or not, he's always going to be Lord. I think I surrender to his Lordship. And so people need to see the real Jesus because they're going to meet this Jesus. They don't know. They think they know him. But when you read the scripture, when I read about who Jesus is and his convictions on things and what he called his disciples to, it's very different from the Jesus that I think a lot of people preach. And so I think we just got to hold to the truth and we got to hold to the word. Um, And I, I am concerned, I think, especially for my own generation, where we're starting to redefine things that are very, very true. And I think very simple, but I think we, I mean, you see it more than ever nowadays, Rob, I think with social media is just surrounding ourselves with teachers that, that say what the itching ears want to hear. Um, it's in, it's in our church, it's in our campuses, it's, it's all over the place. And so it is challenging when someone can just go to another church that teaches a more watered down version of the gospel but I think we have to hold to the truth because that, that is what glorifies God. And um, in the end, when Jesus comes back, it's not going to matter how big our church was. I think it's, it's going to matter is who is a disciple and who wasn't. And I think for any other campus ministers out there that are feeling that pressure at times to compromise, I've felt it before. I think I want to encourage them and hold to the truth, hold to the word. God, God absolutely is with us. And when we hold to his word, I mean, he lives in us. Uh, there, there's no room for fear when we understand that God is with us and we, we have to hold to that truth. And so that's what drives me, I think, to hold to that, to that conviction that God is absolutely with me. Um, why would I fear what some person thinks about me? And so that, that's that's why I think we need to hold, we got to hold to it. Well, that, that's one of the things that I found remarkable about you is that you're raised in the church and yet you've got convictions that come from uh, you know, a person who's never had any contact with Christ before. It's, it's There's a freshness about it. And it's actually led you into conflict with with people that have been teaching something different. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, recently, a few months ago, we had a, a guy, a former member of our church, his dad, I tried to like almost physically attack me because he thought we were a cult or whatever. Um, he didn't, but he was just cussing me out and saying, you know, what I teach is wrong and what our church teaches is wrong. Um, we've had people's parents show up at our midweeks before and say stuff. And we've had, we've had people every time we baptize someone, they'd call that person and then be like, Hey, you know, you, you were just baptized into a cult. You need to get out. Um, you know, I, I think 
nothing like what a lot of people go through in other parts of the world. But I think when there's this, there's this engine, this social media that people can hide behind and say whatever they want to say, uh, that makes it challenging. And so people in our campus have left because of, because of this, um, people have, have, and they have absolutely trashed us on the way out. But I think what's so just amazing is that when we hold to the word, when, when we trust God to take care of us, I think the rest of the campus ministry sees that and they see, mm -hmm. wow, he really believes what this says. And there's a peace about like that. Anyone can get angry and get in somebody's face. But I think when you see someone going through the opposition persecution and they remain calm and there's a peace about them, but they're not afraid either. I think that shows Christ because right. that absolutely was Christ. Right. Uh, unfazable. Right. You, you, mentioned when we talked at the World Discipleship Summit that you had gone to a conference and that you had spoken out. And oh, yeah. can you can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there there's a some people um, in our campus ministries, it was here in Southern California, as well as some other parts of, of America who were teaching things on social media, like homosexuality is not a sin. When Jesus tells you to carry your cross, he's not talking about denying who you are, because what does that say about our LGBTQ friends? It, they're kind of equating someone's sexual orientation with their identity, and we can't go against that, apparently. Um, talking about the women's role, just all these kind of hot topic issues. And uh, so I preached, and the, they wanted me to preach on Matthew 7, where he talks about you know, the measure you use as you judge will be measured against you. So the title of my lesson was called Judge Not? Question mark. And so we looked at, because I think that's really taken out of context a lot. Like people think, oh, only God can judge me. I mean, what a terrifying thing. God's going to judge you. That, that should scare you more than me. Right. But um, we talked a lot about, okay, we're not to judge the motives of someone's heart. That's what Paul says. But if you claim to be a Christian, I can absolutely judge the fruit of your life and say, no, 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 that's that's wrong. And what you're teaching is wrong. And so I just I just charged the campus ministry in the Southwest that we need to hold hold to the truth. And uh, I even said it. I said, there's going to be people in this room that are going to rise up and that are going to lead others astray. And when I said that there was like 30 people uh, that got up and left, um, you know, and saying all sorts of stuff about me. And I, I don't know how many of them are still in the church, but, but I think uh, we can't be afraid of that. And the first century, that's what they did too. I mean, they, Paul, absolutely graceful, but he did not hold back when it came to standing up for the truth. And I think we got to do it in gentleness and love. But if you're going to spread things publicly about false teachings and you're going to claim to be a disciple, then I really think publicly you need to be corrected on that. And if you're going to send things out on social media, then uh, I have no problem preaching from the pulpit and saying that that's wrong. And so that got in a little, little hot water with that group. Um, but that's all right. So, um, yeah. What I, I find impressive is that you are under fire at times because of your convictions, but you seem comfortable with it, relatively comfortable. How do you manage that? I think I'm not always as comfortable as I might seem. Uh, I think it really hurts when it's people you really love that turn 
but I do think I think about in is it first or second Peter where he talks about um, that the spirit of God will rest on you, will bring you comfort. And just thinking that being under fire and look at what Paul went through and there's just such a peace about him. Um, but I think the comfort I've found, you know, going back to scripture, remembering this is not my home. I think it's made heaven a whole lot more real. Um, even this morning I was thinking about it, just, uh, I'd rather not be speaking out against a lot of this stuff. I'd rather just be comfortable and, you know, kind of live my life, but mm -hmm. Um, I just can't not say something. And right. so I think the comfort I find is absolutely in God's word, absolutely in prayer. Um, I haven't, I, I love my times with God and right. I feel so safe in those times. And so right. I think that's appear comfortable. Right. Well, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think we can't be the church if we're just like the world. I mean, we there has to be a tension between what we believe and what the world believes, what the world teaches. And if those lines start to blur, guess what? Zero impact. We, we can't change yeah. lives if we're simply approving the lifestyle of everyone in the world. But at yeah. the same time, we need to love people and be absolutely engaged and, and involved in people's lives. Um, I think that's absolutely, I think that's been the power of the, the discipling movement from the sixties and seventies is, is an engagement reaching out to the, to, to people who are lost at the same time, not accepting the, the standards and the mores of, of the prevailing culture. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I just, I, I think there's definitely that, that balance of like, we got to love the world. We got to stand up for what's right. But I really think loving the world is absolutely like warning. Like this is wrong, right? I'm not just going to come and blast somebody, right? I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to help them try to get the conviction, hopefully from the Bible. But um, for me, I mean, I, I think specifically, probably the biggest topic right now is the LGBTQ thing with, with, with our culture. How is loving them telling them that that's okay? You know, just like if, if my, if, if my kid was doing something they shouldn't do, loving them would not be saying, oh, it's okay. You know, loving them would be saying, Hey, don't do that. And we're going to love you regardless of what you do, but you can't do that. And so I think that's been something that even I've got accusations on as well. You don't necessarily love the world. Um, our, our campus ministry is 90% non-kingdom kids all we we're only with people from the world um we're studying the bible with gang members we're, we're, we're doing all that different stuff and i think what attracts people to the church is not that we relate to them what attracts people to the church is that we're like christ mm. and i'm not saying being weird and preaching at people like i can go out and play basketball with somebody we can hang out like i'm not just saying i'm just shoving the bible down people's throat but what attracted me to the church even growing up in it and actually getting to know people was, wow, these people are actually different. This isn't fake. This right. isn't a facade. Right. This is, these people are legitimately like Jesus. Right. And they love Jesus and they love me. Right. So I've always felt very loved by people who who speak the truth to me. I mean, Doug right. has said some things to me that he, he I needed to hear. And right. I was prideful about it, but he said it because he loves me. And so right. I think we got to love people enough to address the elephants in the room and speak the truth. What, what advice would you give to people who are like 
wrestling with this, who are, who are afraid to, to make a stand and, and maybe they're, they're disciples, but are timid, not, not willing or able, you know, to really stand up anything to bolster that person's conviction. I think you're not alone in what you feel. And I think it's, it's okay to feel afraid and it gives us the opportunity to be courageous. I think about Peter denied Jesus three times. And then we see in Acts chapter four, the boldness of Peter and John reminded the Sanhedrin of Jesus. Like these men were with Jesus. They reflected the boldness of God in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at what they, we actually talked about this Tuesday night with our campus. You look at what they prayed when they were being threatened. Hey, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop saying this. Um, and their prayer began with who God is sovereign Lord, creator of heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the creatures. I think for people struggling with courage, I think you got to get a clear view of who God is and that you got to believe that God's with you and he is with you. I mean, if you're a disciple of Jesus, God that created everything lives inside of you. Don't be afraid of anybody. I mean, and it's easy to say for me now, but then we're out on campus and people are screaming at us that we're a cult and saying all sorts of things. It, it's a little harder when you're there, but I think just remembering that, that God is absolutely with us and suffering makes us more like Jesus. Right. And it actually brings about a great joy and have like thinking about heaven and bonds us. And I think just remembering you're, you're not alone. God, God is with you. You have to believe that. That's and, right. and I think your prayer life needs to reflect that. And right. Peter and John didn't pray to get out of uh, these threats. They just said, God, give, consider their threats and give us the, enable us to speak boldly. And so don't escape. Don't look for an escape out of the, the suffering. I think uh, ask for God to make you bold and right. he will. Right. I was reading a book recently and it just talked about how there's like a 3% rule that if, if, if a group of people, whether they're Christian or not, have strong enough convictions to be unwavering, to hold to their convictions, it only takes about 3% to affect a much, much larger group as long mm-hmm. as they're unwavering. And you can think about it in, in as mundane things as uh, <clears throat> vegans or, you know, people who, you know, like you go to a banquet, it's like, okay, we have a vegan menu here for you because those people are like, they're not, they're not going to waver They're you know, because it doesn't really affect the larger group. All of a sudden, everything gets transformed to fit that smaller group. And you really see yeah. that with the early church. There was just an unwavering attitude towards sin and towards righteousness and saying, hey, this is the way it is. And in a much larger culture of, of the Roman Empire, which was very accepting and accommodating, basically they changed that whole culture with less than 10% of it. I mean, literally converted it to uh, you know a Christian nation you know, with Constantine and everything. Course that kind of went went off off the rails, but those first right. few centuries, there was a deep conviction that said, "Hey, this is it. These are the standards," and yeah. very, very much in a culture that we're seeing um, today. And so, I I, yeah. I agree with you. There has to be a deep, strong, powerful conviction. Let's talk a little bit about that term cult. Okay, people throw that word around, and oh. I you know. 
I, I feel like what's needed is culture, not, you know, we need a strong, deeply convicted culture on campus. Any, any views on that? Just on how to build that with our yes. campus ministry. Yep. I think culture begins with, with the top. You have to, you have to do what you want to see in your campus ministry. So if you want to have a campus ministry that is, has a culture of evangelism, I think that is so important that you have a life that reflects evangelism. And I know, I just, I think even a practical for me was Doug, when I first went in the ministry, me and him sat down every week and went over my schedule. Was I prioritizing the things that I think Jesus would prioritize? So obviously you have the shepherding, but um, I think sometimes we can get really caught up in the problems that people have. I think we got to help people, but they need to carry their load as well. I want to be with the lost. Mm-hmm. And every day in my schedule, I do have a blocked out period where I go share my faith. Um, we challenge our leaders in our campus ministry. So now it's not just me. Now we have a leadership team. They all share their faith with a hundred people every week. Um, and I think what that's created is everywhere I go, I'm there to share my faith. So if I'm going to get groceries, I'm actually not getting groceries. I'm going to go share my faith. Mm-hmm. And I, I happen to be getting groceries as well, or I'm at Starbucks. Okay. I happen to be a Starbucks. I'm going to share my faith and I'm going to get my coffee. It's just this mission focused mind. And I think when we have a culture of that, I really do believe it takes away a lot of the stuff because yeah. when we're focused on the mission, I don't really care what people say. And right. I don't, you know, we're focused on the mission. I'm not worried about, Oh, I didn't really like this song at church or you, you just <laughs> things, that, things that matter, you know, that's right. Uh, I think that's that's what Jesus John 17 is I was sent in the world, so I'm sending you. Right. I think being coworkers produces unity. So I think building that culture and I think in your lessons, you got to emphasize the culture you want over and over and mm-hmm. over and over again, and then always back it up with the way you live your life. Right. That's what's helped us a lot. Right. Right. This concept of culture is like so important. And people use cult as a scare word, as a buzz term. The, the fact is a cult is a, is, is a, is a group that gets isolated away from, away from society. Let's, you know, originally started with the Jonestown massacre in 1979 with Jim Jones, taking people yeah. away, having a high profile charismatic leader and keeping people away from their families. You know, we're on campus. A person can walk into the church or they can leave at any time. They can walk away just by the fact that they have the freedom to leave at any time. It, 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 the word doesn't fit. A church may have a strong culture. It may have strong conviction. That doesn't make it yeah. a cult. It does not. We had a guy we converted. He's a football player and he, uh, he became a disciple. He decided for his own repentance. No one, no one brought this up. He decided I need to break up with my girlfriend. You know, we're not, we're not living a righteous life. His girlfriend's dad came over and was like, Hey, this is a cult. They probably made you do this. And so he came back. and was like, you guys are a cult and all this stuff. Like I'm leaving. And I was like, that's what your girlfriend's dad said. That's why you broke up with her. Cause you're in a cult. And he's like, yeah. I said, okay. Did you, did you tell your, your girlfriend's dad you're sleeping with her? And he was like, well, no. I said, Oh, maybe that, you know, Maybe that's why you talk about why you broke up with her. And mm-hmm. so it's the buzzword. People are just, right. I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of that. And so 
they said crazy things about the first century church. They called them cannibals for eating the the flesh of Jesus mm -hmm. for uh, called them incestuous for marrying their brothers and sisters in Christ, marrying right. a fellow believer. Right. People, people have said stuff since the beginning of time. It, it is what it is. Right. What, what's helped you to grow your ministry? Tell, you know, let me, just, let me phrase it this way. What, what three things, give me, give me a list here. If a person imitated a campus minister or a, a college student wanting to get their campus ministry going and growing and revived, what, what could they do that would make a big difference? G give me just three things. Give me some bullet points here. I think uh, prioritize what Jesus prioritized in his ministry. So he wasn't at home making phone calls. He was out it, it, with the people. And um, I think sometimes we can't be so hyper about the numbers. People are going to leave when we have the ministry of Jesus. They left Jesus. And so we have to prioritize what he prioritizes because that will bring in people that want to follow Jesus. Um, and so prioritize what God prioritized, I think. Uh, number two, I think check your focus. It's easy to get focused on things that are um, not productive and in the long run, in, the, in, in light of eternity, they're really not going to matter. And so I think administration is very important, but I think the mission of Jesus, we, we need to be out evangelizing, uh, discipling, training, baptizing, um, preaching. I think those are, those are those are two big ones. And I think the, the third one is preach the word. I think we, we were the, we were the church that really emphasized the book of Acts back in the day. Now we've kind of drifted at least here. It's, it's very much about, we're kind of becoming the church of the epistles, uh, which is great, but I'm like, let's talk a little old Testament too. So I think preach the whole word, um, that I, I just think people respond to that. Well, people love to hear about God. Okay, so let's back it up a little bit. What do you mean the Church of the Epistles? Kind of like we we'll, we'll focus, I think a lot of our sermon series can come out of the Epistles, like Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, Philippians. That's not wrong, but it's kind of like, it's not wrong at all, but I think we, we talk a lot about very similar things, and so it's kind of a similar theme that we usually have, and I think there's this huge Bible that there's a lot of amazing stories that are really inspiring. I think we look kind of at the past sometimes, and I think we're afraid to repeat the past. So we don't want to call people to radical living, but then we got to, we, we got to focus on these books in the Bible. And, you know, I think about Joshua, like this guy was radical. I think about David, I think about Jeremiah, like preaching some of these stories too, that emphasize men, the radical living that, that disciples of Jesus have, the, the radical lives that men of God lived. Um, and so just having the whole span, you look at like a Francis Chan, I really like him. They go through the Bible every year, the whole Bible as a church. So I think it just helps people learn more about who God is and, and what he expects of us as his people. So that's kind of what I meant. So more more preaching intensely rather than just strengthening the Christians, more preaching preach it yeah the, the gospel for life change yeah i think we can't just have practical sermons of how to do church better mm -hmm. i think there needs to be this is who god is so what is your life gonna look like because of that like does your life reflect the glory of god does your 
boldness reflect the boldness of God? Does and I think that's how they prayed in the Old Testament. They always reflected so much about who God is, and that drove them to do what they did, rather than just go do this and you're gonna, you know, you'll feel better or you know, you'll you'll have a happier life. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us to living a safe, comfortable life. It it leads us into trouble. He leads us into different circumstances that test our faith. And I think you see that all throughout the Bible. And so I think we gotta, we gotta go back to some of these stories of great exploits for God and mm-hmm. more things. So right, right. That makes so what, what I hear you saying is one, get outside. Yeah. Get outside, <laughs> prioritize what Jesus prioritized, meeting people, talking to people, discipling people, training people. Number two, check your focus. Don't get distracted. Yeah. Don't, don't major in the minors. Um, yeah. You know, it just, it reminds me sometimes I, I get caught up in administration. I'm like, Oh my gosh, when did Jesus have an administration day? I just, like, go, <laughs> I just go, what was it? You know, is that why I talked to Z- uh, Zacchaeus there in, in Jericho? Yeah. Like, Hey, I need help with my, my finances here. <laughs> I gotta get cover this. But just, Focus on the things that matter the most to eternity. Yeah. I think that's very, yeah. very powerful. And one of the things that impacts me, I was reading a book recently, and it just talked about how there are what he calls, I, I, I want to talk more about this in the future, but there, there are nightingales, meaning we're not impacted by the people that we can't hear their voice, the people who've died, the people who've gone to hell. Those we, we get impacted by the people who are alive and, and people who are living in sin, people who are celebrities, they've got a loud voice and, and they, they're like, they're doing fine. But yeah. we don't hear the people's voice who've chosen against God and then all of a sudden their voice goes silent. But in hell, yeah. they're just going, hey, you got to go the wrong, you got to change. You know, and it's like yeah. those, those are the things that we, we need to listen to those silent voices. Yeah. I yeah. Think, go, I, go, were you about to say something? I just think eternity is such a long time to be filled with regret. And I, like you said, I think if we could hear what they were saying, it would just be, I, I think a Lazarus uh, in um, the parable Jesus said about Lazarus and the beggar. Yeah. Where, I mean go back and tell my brothers right. it's like they have Moses and the prophets that if they don't listen to them. then even if you rose from the dead, they, they wouldn't listen to you. And just that idea that hell is real. And I don't know. I, I think maybe that's more what I meant when I talked about, we become the church of the epistles. Like we talk a lot, a lot about these practical ways of living in the church and in, in the Bible, but it doesn't always feel like we think it's super real. Like, right. I, I just think we would have a different life about us, a yep. different lifestyle, just like an yep. urgency. Maybe that's what it is, an urgency to save souls. Exactly. I mean, that's cl- lack. clearly Jesus had it. I mean, he could look behind the curtain. He knew exactly what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And you could see how that drove him very clearly, and the Apostle Paul as well. Okay, so, yeah. and then the third thing he said, just preach the word. Preach with power, preach with authority, yeah. not just teaching, not just try to improve your, your Christian life just a little bit. But in addition to that, preach, preach with guts. Absolutely. Okay. Talking a little bit, 
being raised in in the church and you're you're running into people whose kids are going off to college and they've become Christians or they want to become Christians. So you face a lot of disciples who maybe were converted back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. At one point were really passionate and maybe they're not so passionate for their kids. They feel like, hey, you know, that was fine for me, but my kids don't need to be as as convicted or as as passionate as I once was. Any advice you'd want to speak into that situation to parents or to kids who are wrestling with that, who are, you know, they feel like, yeah, it was good for me to be all fired up and sold out, but I don't think my kid needs to be. I think we run, <laughs> I think we run into that a good amount. I think I've preached several times and been told, oh, you remind us of the old days, not in a good way. Um, I, whatever, but I don't know what that means. I wasn't even born yet, but um, <laughs> I was born in 94. I was like, your, your issues are not with me. But um, I think with, with people that feel that way, it's, I think they're speaking from a point of view of a lot of pain and hurt and not the point of view of faith. And like, Jesus is amazing. Like why you don't know Jesus if you don't want to live an amazing life for him. You don't know Jesus. If you don't want to live a life that counts and your kid wants to live a life that counts. I mean, I tell you my parents, some of my spiritual dreams and they're like, well, remember you have two kids and, and it, you know, <laughs> you got to have that wisdom, you know, like I can't be a Paul I, I'm married with two kids, but I, I want my kids to see the kingdom of God. I want them to see their dad is will and, and mom will do whatever God calls them to do. And I think that will impact them. And I want my kids to, I want my kids to seek the kingdom first. Right. And, I want my kids to be, my kid, my, my daughters will face God someday. And I prayed since the time we found out that they were, that my wife was pregnant. I prayed, God, if they are not going to become disciples and make it to heaven, please take them before they're born. And both of them were born. So I believe that it will happen, but I think they're not going to make it. If I'm telling them, Hey, you don't need to live a life sold out for Jesus because that's not what Jesus says. I mean, they need to hate me compared to how much they love Jesus. Uh, they need to be willing to give up everything when it comes to following Jesus. But I think Jesus is so much more satisfying than having things and living a comfortable life. It, like, where where does your joy come from? Does it come from living a comfortable life? Or does it come from, I'm living the lifestyle of Jesus and he's walking with me and I have the shepherd who provides all my needs and I'm good. Like, that's that is what I think kids need. And I think it's really sad when, when parents pull their kids from that, but I do think it comes from a place of pain and hurt in the past. But I think we can't let the past dictate our future and we have to heal. And I've actually told even a couple people in our own church, please don't talk to my campus ministry about the old days and the things you felt because they have no triggers. They have no issues. Right. Uh, you're being a stumbling block. I said more, more respectful than that, but kind of being a stumbling block to them. Like, let them, let them be radical. Let them be sold out for Jesus. Right. And Doug and May are amazing because they will never, they would not allow me to push someone to the point of where it became legalistic or different. Like you got to have people in your lives that help with that. But I think 
I don't know. If we're reading the same Bible, it's like, how could you not live a, a crazy life for Jesus? Exactly. You know? so. I mean, the things that Jesus said about hell, about carrying your cross, about hating your life in this world, I just go, it's scary. I mean, yeah, you yeah. can't read it and not just go, Jesus is so intense. It's frightening. You know, I was just yeah. reading this morning where Jesus said, uh, you know, don't don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. Fear him who after the killing of the body has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I just go, whoa, it's, <laughs> it shakes you to your shoes. Like he's just saying, you better fear God. It's scary. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's no... Yeah. There's no gray area in that. It's just like you have got to be absolutely in awe of, of God. Yeah. So you you've yeah. be, you've traveled a lot. You're you're certainly developing a name for yourself among the campus ministry circles. When you you've seen a lot of different campus ministries, talked to a lot of different campus ministers, what are you seeing out there and what would you tell other campus ministers and c- campus leaders? I think I'm, I'm I'm seeing people who really do want to build the kingdom. They really do. I think what I have seen, not as much recently, but when people, when campus ministers start having kids, somehow they get in their mind that they don't have to be on campus anymore. Um, my wife is not in the ministry with me. She's working a, a full-time job. Um we have four or five babysitters a week while, while we're gone because I'm on campus. This is my job. Um, and that's what, when you build a campus, I mean, I have so many campus girls that watch my, my daughters and, and different things, but um, I think we need to be on campus. And this next generation of campus ministers, I think really wants that. I think I see um, a desire to, to love God, to grow the kingdom. I think what people really need right now is to be walked with as I, I mean, Doug has walked with me and uh, I could, I really think he should be one of the ones that these world of discipleship summits teaching his classes about it because he, he really walked with me and did an amazing job. I think the other thing I, I see is um, that culture that we talked about has kind of seeped into the church um, and there's a fear of getting canceled. There's a fear of uh, people leaving. When you prioritize what Jesus prioritized, and it was the first thing I said, you're not worried about who leaves because Jesus absolutely preached in a way where crowds left. And so our, our thought process can't be, I just want to get a bigger campus ministry. We have to build smart and we need to stand up for what's right. No, no matter what the cost is, because when you do that, God will bring the people that you can build with. And every time we've grown in our campus ministry, what preceded that was a time of we shrunk nine to three. We just went 50 to 40. We may lose more people. I don't know. But usually when that happens, God refines and then we grow. And so I think the goal can't be just to grow. The goal has got to be to glorify God. And I think if I can give a practical to any of the campus ministers out there, I think look at the lifestyle of Jesus. Look what he did. Look what he prioritized and go and do it. Jesus was in the temple courts. We need to be on campus. Jesus was with the demon possessed, the prostitutes, the thugs. We need to reach out, not just not just looking for the sharp guy, 
but also looking for the, the one who's going to be grateful for what God has saved them from. And they are going to go out and live amazing lives for Jesus. Mm. I think the other thing is that um, we need to bring our people with us. So I'm training a guy right now. We have a leadership group. I have a couple guys that in our campus that are with me. Um, they're with me all the time. So, hey, I have this D time coming up. I want you to be there and just learn. Um, I have this Bible study coming up. I don't want you to share anything. Just take notes for yourself and take notes for him and just learn what to do. Um, and man, we just have some awesome guys that that have been so humble with that. And so those would be the things I would say for campus ministers is be on campus, be with the people, share your faith, be bold. And people, people will be attracted to that. Mm-hmm. People will want that when they see Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I know there's a lot. No, well, that whatever. is that is super awesome. At the University of Arizona, we uh, the campus ministry is contracted in its size. We're we starting with three returning students. Uh, we're getting three who are coming in as freshmen. So, hey, we just doubled our ministry. Fired up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> just went 100 growth. Kyle went from Love two it. to six. <laughs> yeah, but you know. I'm just like, okay, I need to focus here. And, and so I've got Kevin Liu and Erica Liu, they're leading our campus ministry, but I've just decided this, this year, it's going to be a little unbalanced. And I, I've just decided I'm going to work from campus. And so all this week, this is rush week. This is the week prior to school starting, just been out there, you know, sharing, sharing and sharing and sharing with, with Kevin and, and with Nyla, who's the intern and just trying to walk with them and, you know, I'm 56 years old and it's like, you know, I'm up there, but I'm just like, Hey, this has got to happen. We need a great campus ministry at the university of Arizona and I'm going to do what it takes to get there. Um, you know, and so I really appreciate what you're sharing because I feel like it's got to happen. The leadership has to prioritize it or else it may never happen. I mean, you just can't, you can't run a campus ministry by remote control. You can't do it by zoom. You've got to be yeah. there. You you got to be talking to people, and you have to be the one who who's reaching people. So, I really appreciate yeah. what you're sharing there. Amen. I'll be praying for the for U of A. Hey, thank you so much. We definitely need your prayers. And you know, it's a great campus. It's an awesome place, uh, and I believe yeah. great things are going to happen through God's power. So, as yeah. you look forward, what are your plans? I think. We had a leaders meeting with our campus on Sunday. And I think kind of doing what you're doing. I'm my plans, I want to raise these guys up to replace me at, at some point. Like I, I want them to do better things than me. So that's kind of the immediate. Uh, I'll be in Arizona next month doing the, the campus fall retreat out there. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so I'm much. We're we're gonna get yeah. people up there from from Tucson, I can tell you that, and from Phoenix, I know. Oh yeah. So I'm grateful. I, I didn't know that you had accepted the invitation. Thank you. It's going to be oh, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to bring uh, my uh, fireproof suit, my hazmat, you know, just to. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Hopefully. It, yeah. It'll be a good time. It's going to uh, be awesome. I'm that I think long-term, um, I know we, we've prayed a lot about wanting to go overseas. And so that's, that's a dream of, of mine. I think my wife is, I think one of my prayers was that my wife would feel called to do it too. And, and she's felt more and more 
like like that could be something God's calling us to do. So that's that's something I don't have like a we have, we have a spot in mind, but we don't have anything just picked out. So we're kind of in talks about it. But I think long term we, we would love to go overseas and uh, help out some churches overseas and 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 just learn more about God over there. And mm-hmm. I think just grow our faith. And so um, that's kind of where where we're headed. And hopefully we don't have another kid here soon. You know, because both the first two are. We're not on purpose. So I I'm I'm tapped out with two right now. So hopefully we can <laughs> keep that from, it's just, I don't know, you know, who knew who would know if you do that, you have kids. But um yeah, so that's that's kind of our plan. We wanna we wanna go overseas at some point. We wanna raise up leaders here. We wanna yeah. start a leadership program or a, a a training program here in North San Diego where we would invite student leaders from other ministries to come for a semester and just train here for a semester and then get sent back to their own ministries. And, and so um, we're not trying to, to pull a, a LA thing with, with kit back in the day where we just keep you here. Right. Uh, we actually want to send people back and build the kingdom and the campus ministries. That's, that's the main point just, you know, nationwide. So we're trying to get that implemented here. That's awesome. What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? Walk closely with God. Fight to believe his word. And I think take great risks for him. Take great risks for God. Whether it's moving to another city, whether it's going to a place where you have no money, maybe you don't speak the language, but you want to go learn and plant a church. Uh, whether it's giving to the church financially, I, I don't know what it is, but I think take great risks for God. I think God blesses that. And that makes not only your life count, but I think it makes eternity count. Hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Kyle, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I just felt an immediate bond talking to you. I just thought this is, it's really inspiring, really encouraging to talk to you, your guts, your determination, your courage, your devotion to God's word. It's impressive, and uh, you know I pray every blessing on your ministry, on the Lovegren's ministry, and if a person wanted to get advice from you, they they wanted to just you know ask a question or two, how best to reach you? You can call me, um, email me. Should I should I give you that right now, or should I just send that to you after? Well, we can. I can put it in the notes if you like. How about okay. if I do that? I'll just put your email in in the notes, and and uh, yeah, people can. If, people want to get some help, they could reach you. Is, is that okay? Absolutely. I'm sure there's going to be some questions people have that they'll want to follow up and um, after this interview. I think just as we close out, I, I needed a lot of help with campus ministry. And so it's not like I'm just naturally good at it. And so I would love to help whoever whoever has a question. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, Rob. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.